Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, September 18th, 2009. I'm Alana Rangi. Elkanon Goldberg is a scientist at NYU interested in studying our executive brain. Now, you might not be a CEO, but your prefrontal cortex is the CEO of your brain, in charge of making all sorts of decisions and actions. Goldberg was the first speaker in Science in the City's Provocative Thinkers in Science series. On Monday, he talked about his research to the SNC crowd. Later in the week, I sat down with Goldberg to learn a little bit more about how we process information. Hey you, what are you doing next Tuesday? I'll tell you what you're not doing. Getting any younger. Lucky for you, SNC's got your dose of anti-aging. Aubrey de Grey, a renowned British researcher on aging, delivers the second event in SNC's Provocative Thinkers in Science series. Can regenerative medicine cure old age? You're going to have to wait to find out. Get your tickets for de Grey, as well as the rest of the SNC Provocative Thinkers series, online at www.nyas.org. Slash provocative thinkers. I'm Elhanan Goldberg. I am a cognitive neuroscientist and a neuropsychologist. I uh, work at NYU uh, Medical School where I conduct my research. I am also in private practice and I write books and I lecture worldwide. Elkanon Goldberg is a man of many talents. His new book is called The New Executive Brain. When I first heard about Goldberg's new book, I thought he was going to delve into the brains of Wall Street's executives or tackle how CEOs work. That's not what Goldberg's book is about, but it's not exactly far off. There are certain processes controlled by the brain, which are to the totality of our mental world what uh, the conductor is to an orchestra or the central uh, chief executive officer is to a corporation or generalist to his troops. Uh, And now we are beginning to understand uh, the the neurobiology of these aspects of cognition, which is sometimes referred to as metacognition. Metacognition basically means having cognition about cognition, or knowing about knowing. The part of the brain that Goldberg is interested in controls some of the most important functions we're capable of, like judgment, morality, impulse, decision-making, or motivation. And exactly where in our brains is this executive center? Well, one must always be very cautious with the where part. One must also be cautious with the what part, because we tend to regard the world through the prism of finite taxonomies. And we talk about different mental faculties, memory, attention, language, this and that. But in reality, these are all epistemological fictions. This is basically one huge, highly complex and highly heterogeneous neural net uh, within which these functions are distributed in continuous interactive ways. But having said that, we are forced to simplify for heuristic and, and just reasons of communication, 
we are forced to simplify this reality and do map it onto a finite taxonomy as if indeed there were certain uh, genuine discrete boundaries between uh, between these domains, which of course is not the case. So uh, with, the, with all this in mind, to the extent that it's possible to compartmentalize cognition at all, these executive functions seem to be linked particularly to the frontal lobes and various related structures. So for all you non-brain scientists out there, that's the part of your brain right behind your forehead. The boundaries of the prefrontal cortex are blurred, and so are the ways that the region deals with problems. Goldberg is particularly interested in how we make decisions. It's basically the ultimate manifestation of human mind, right? The ability to make decisions. For any neuropsychologist or cognitive neuroscientist interested in cognition, you see, if you look at the history of the field, and now I'm giving you a somewhat different answer to the same question. If you look at the history of the field, it started with the lowest hanging fruit and the most obvious ones, the ones which lend themselves most readily to being rendered in in sort of in common sense constructs. You see, we all intuitively understand that language is, you know, uh, a distinct area of uh, mental competence, that, I don't know, uh, movements, uh, controlling movements is a distinct area of mental competence. So this is, um, the neuropsychology and neuroscience, uh, in its efforts, in their efforts to understand the brain machinery of all of the above, started with such areas. Now, it... Until very well, until a few decades ago, neuroscientists were not even concerned with this question. Well, what are the brain mechanisms of metacognition? Because just the whole construct it does not map organically on anything within the kind of a lay common sense domain. If you talk to a, to a lay person, well, do you know what language is? He'll say yes even though in reality they don't, but it will resonate with some uh, common sense lay construct. Say, so you understand what movements are? You say, yes. You say, well, what are executive functions? They won't even know what you are talking about, okay? It does not map readily on anything within the kind of a lay common sense everyday domain. So it took scientists, you know, generations to get even to formulate this question to consider the possibility uh, that there may be some certain aspects in the brain which are somehow preferentially involved with these aspects of cognition. In the hierarchy of kind of a fruit available for picking, it is the least low-hanging fruit. It's a very high-hanging fruit, so it's a challenge. We live in a pretty ambiguous world. We make all sorts of decisions all day long that don't have a right answer. Like, what am I going to wear today? Or, what do I feel like for lunch? Goldberg calls these actor-centered decisions. Their answer depends on the preferences of the person. But we also make decisions and choices based on factual information, which is either true or false. There's only one answer to the question, what is the capital of France? Just like there's only one answer to, where do you live? Who's the mayor of your city? Or what bank do you use? These decisions are called veridical decisions, or as Goldberg prefers, veridical cognition. But of course, our decision-making process is not that cut and dry. Again, one has to realize that any more or less complex decision-making probably includes 
elements of both. And you disambiguate this actor center decision making by probably reformulating it as a succession of veridical problems. So the question of what do I wear today can be solved by breaking down the ambiguous question into lots of not so ambiguous questions. Like, how cold is it outside? What is my favorite outfit? Or do I have an important meeting today? This disambiguation process is key, says Goldberg, to how we solve problems. One of the things Goldberg has discovered is that while the prefrontal cortex is expert at handling the ambiguous free choice problems we face every day, once we disambiguate the problems and break them down, a different part of the brain takes over. I use the CBT experiment merely as an example. CBT stands for Cognitive Bias Task. Of the power of these non-veridical actor-centered paradigms. The CBT experiment uses brain scans to look at people's brains while they are making decisions. In the first round of the experiment, subjects were shown a picture of a geometric shape, called a target. Then, they were shown two other designs and asked to choose which they liked best. While it was made clear to them that it was a free choice experiment, they didn't know that one of the two choices was always more similar to the target than the other. In a second experiment, they were asked to choose which of the two designs best resembled the target or which was more different. Basically, Goldberg disambiguated the task for them. What Goldberg and his team discovered was that when the subjects were given the ambiguous free choice task to choose the shape they liked best, the frontal lobes were put to work. However, when the task was disambiguated and there was an obvious right answer to the question, the frontal lobes no longer became important in solving the problem. We were able to really characterize the functional difference between the left and the right dorsal prefrontal convexities. Today, people like to talk about dorsal lateral cortex. But in reality, when, when they say that, uh, very often they mean the broader area, which is both dorsal lateral and frontopolar. So I sometimes like a more generic term, frontal convexity. Okay? Uh, we were able to demonstrate gender differences, which were completely eluded all the prior research. We also demonstrated certain facts pertaining to kind of a, the relationship between handedness and cognition. So we were able to demonstrate to a whole bunch of phenomena uh, which completely eluded these uh, vertical paradigms. Okay, So the point that I was making is that the cognition controlled by the prefrontal cortex lends itself to the studies with actor-centered paradigms much better readily than to the stu- does to the studies with veridical paradigms, and um, uh, we are trying to do precisely that. Goldberg and his team also found major differences between the ways that males and females handled free choice problems. On the CBT card, one of the two choices always more closely resembled the target than others. When asked to pick the shape that they like best, some subjects matched their choice to the target shape, which Goldberg called context-dependent decision-making. Some subjects made choices based on other preferences, like color or shape, regardless of the target. Goldberg calls this context-independent decision-making. Goldberg and his team found that men were strikingly more likely to make their free-choice decisions in a context-dependent way, while women were much more likely to use a context-independent method. The CBT test is only one example of the kind of research that Goldberg is using to study the brain. But what does his research mean for us? 
First of all, better ability to characterize functional difference between the female brain and the male brain, and even the two hemispheres, the two frontal lobes, front and back, etc., etc., enables us to design better cognitive rehabilitation protocols for patients recovering from the effects of stroke, of traumatic brain injury, of all these bad things which afflict people, okay? And then they are subject to uh, various forms of cognitive therapy to help restore the function and the underlying brain. And the more custom-tailored it is, uh, we talk about individualized medicine, yeah? Well, it applies also to neurorehabilitation. The more individualized it is, the, the more beneficial it will be, presumably. Another thing is that to the extent that we know about the relationship between different parts of the brain and their utilization, so to speak, and what effect it has on on these various neuroplastic processes, to the effect that we know that it gives us some kind of a general rationale not to just uh, always carry our life on automental autopilot. His research also offers interesting insight into brain diseases like ADHD, schizophrenia, or Tourette's. All of these diseases are known to affect the frontal lobes, and all of them are more common in men. Does that mean that the frontal lobes in men are more vulnerable to disorders affecting the executive center of the brain? Maybe, says Goldberg, but more research is needed. To learn more about Goldberg's work, pick up a copy of his new book. The New Executive Brain is available in all major bookstores. And if you want more big ideas in science, check out the rest of our Provocative Thinkers in Science series online at nyas.org slash provocative thinkers. That's it for this week. Can't get enough of science in the city? Try following us on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash sci and the city. Or you can follow us on Facebook and let us help you find the science community in your city. Science in the City is a non-profit program of the New York Academy of Sciences. We need your continued support to keep bringing you this weekly podcast series, as well as the rest of the Science in the City program, like our Provocative Thinkers series and our website. For more information on Academy membership or to support Science in the City today, log on to scienceandthecity.org donate. As always, we would love your feedback on any of the programs we run here at Science in the City. Send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org or leave us a voicemail at 212-298-8654. See you next week.